the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast here on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Like, uh, like we promised, it's the Conference USA Bowl Season Preview episode. Lots to get to today. Also, some news and notes from around the league that we'll touch on and uh, review the all-conference teams and player of the year awards that came out so should be a good show uh, i'm joe Londrigan, conference usa western kentucky sort of <laughs> blogger as it's coming to now uh over at udd and uh loving every second of this gross oregon weather that i'm dealing with eric the uh weather any better down there in uh sunny florida it is another beautiful day here in Tampa, Florida. It's about 58 degrees and sunny and clear. So, uh, yeah, just having fun here. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to rub it in. I, I, I'm thinking of a punchline, but I'm just going to let it go, man. Just going to let it go. It's another beautiful day down here. Uh, well, all right. And uh, weather's probably going to be significantly better in most of the parts of the country where these bowl games are going. Wish I had time to cover some of them in person, but... Holidays are the holidays, so I'll just settle for uh, watching them in my little home base here. Um, But without further ado, we'll just kind of jump into looking at some of these games. The first one, Utah State and North Texas in the New Mexico Bowl on the 15th. That's a Saturday at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, North Texas favored by eight in this one. Should be an interesting game with these two offenses going up against each other. Eric, what do you think about this one? Yeah, actually, when I saw that line, I was a little bit surprised that it was plus eight. I think this is going to be a little bit closer game than that. I am picking UNT to win, but just give you my quick rundown of the of the um, uh, key things for North Texas to worry about. Utah State's coming in relatively healthy, and the challenge for the Mean Green is going to be slowing down the Aggies' two-headed rushing attack of Darwin Thompson and Gerald Bright. Uh, those guys both are. Excuse me, uh, both almost over a thousand yards on the ground. Uh, once you have that contained, you got to worry about quarterback Jordan Love, who he's got a great TD to uh, INT ratio. He's uh, 28 touchdowns to five interceptions on the year. And the Aggies overall were a really good ball club. You know, they took Michigan State down to the wire as well as Boise State to end the season. So this one should be a really good contest. Of, you know, you have the cream of the crop from the MAC and, and a really elite Conference USA team. And just like I said, my key for uh, Seth Literal's team, besides the fact that it looks like he's going to be there for the foreseeable future, mm-hmm. is just establishing the balance. That they need with uh you know mason finds all world we know what he can do uh at, you know back there's a signal caller but i i really love north texas when they get deandre tory going early if they can get him you know just get him involved in the ball game give him a couple touches here and there uh, i think unt will be just fine the over under for this game is 67 and a half points so we're talking about two really high powered offenses here i think um, just in terms of that aspect of things, this is going to be one of the more entertaining bowl games in, in terms of the ones that offer a Conference USA team, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, as I was going through and, and prepping for the podcast, mm-hmm. uh, you know, initially I was wondering that, man, do we really have any real competitive contests here? But I think, I think we have, you know, if not um, out of the six games, I think we've got about four or five that should come down to about one score. So, yeah, this will be a very good tight ball game. Uh, the eight-point spread, I, I definitely don't think it'll be uh, eight points at all. Do we know who's coaching Utah State in this game? Because uh, their head coach just recently left to take the uh, Texas Tech job, and it was announced that uh, Gary Anderson, their one-time head coach, is actually coming back at, at some point, but I'm not sure. I don't think he's coaching the bowl game. That wouldn't really make a lot of sense. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, that's you are correct in there, and I haven't. I've actually been looking for it, and I haven't seen who will be on the sidelines for Utah State. But yeah, Gary Anderson. It seems like that's the uh, that's the move nowadays, right, Joe? You know, it's all right. We lose your coach. Let's hire someone who we had five, six, ten years ago, right? So uh, Gary Anderson's heading back to Utah State, but I don't know who will be coaching the uh, the Aggies in the bowl game. Yeah, I, I just looked it up, and I believe it's Aggies co-defensive coordinator Frank Mail will be. Uh, he was named the interim head coach after. Uh, the head coach left, and uh, looks like he's keeping that tag for the bowl game. So, should be interesting to see what he can uh, throw together in uh, in the time that he's going to be the head guy before Anderson completely takes the reins. That will be that will be weird as someone who uh, saw what uh, what Anderson could put together at Oregon State up here in Portland. That was um, that was an interesting year or so, <laughs> but. Hey, Aggie fans, best of luck to you. Um, with uh, that, we'll move on to the New Orleans Bowl, where we have Middle Tennessee and Appalachian State going at it on ESPN at 9 p.m. Eastern on that same Saturday, the 15th. Uh, should be a pretty decent game in the Super Bowl here. You have an App State team that uh, really played really good offense for most of the year on their way to a 10 and two record. And then middle Tennessee, also a good offensive club when Brent stock still was healthy and uh, Ty Lee and uh, that rushing game were turning it on, so to speak. Um, but really just didn't get going until um, kind of the later part of the year when they made that run to the conference USA championship game. Um, but I think this is going to be another pretty decent shootout over unders 50 and a half points. Um, I think I'm going to take App State in this one, though, just because I think they've been more consistently impressive than what Middle's been able to do. And, you know, it just seems like Middle finds ways to make weird mistakes like we saw in the Conference USA Championship game. You know what I mean? So for that reason, I think App State's going to pull this one out. Yeah, we're in agreement there. Uh, I have App State as well. I mean, App State's a team who, you know, if you remember back to week one, they should have beaten Penn State on the road to open the year. And I think they really have something to prove. Uh, Zach Thomas is, is a very good dual threat quarterback uh, for App State. And one of the things with Middle Tennessee State, as you said, is that, you know, throughout the year, they've kind of battled injuries. You know, they and I don't want to sound from being too harsh on them because you really take away the fact that uh, they lost Brent Stockstill down at FIU. And had they had him for that game, maybe, you know, they they um, they win that game and it's a little bit easier road for the conference title game. But like you said, they've kind of found ways to either make mistakes or they've kind of it's all really been on squarely on Brent Stockstill's shoulders. And we all know what he can do as a, as a passer, but it can't be all on he and Ty Lee. Uh, so one of the big things is going to have to be to get the running game going, whether it's Shatan Mobley, Tavares Thomas, Stockstill from the quarterback position. But App State has a really elite run D, and that's going to be challenging. You know, So throughout Brent Stockstill's story to Conference USA career, he's had a ton of great performances. You'd love to see one more in the Superdome uh, playing in his final game with his dad, but I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's in the cards. Uh, I've got App State winning a, a tight one. I, like you said, the, the over-under is about 50 and change. Uh, I'll say they're going to win something like 21-17. Okay, that would be an interesting story though if Middle Tennessee was able to put something together and the Stockstills would go out, you know, on top, so to speak, winning their last game as a father and son duo. Um, but I don't know that I said for the last game actually. I don't think I actually made a pick, but I think North Texas is going to pull that one out before we, you know, we don't have to retread that whole conversation. But I don't think I said yeah. that. I'm picking North Texas for that game. And I'm picking App State for this New Orleans Bowl game. And then after the weekend, um, 
In the Cherry Bundy Boca Raton Bowl, we have UAB and Northern Illinois out of the MAC going at it. UAB, of course, the Conference USA champs, ten and three is where they finished on the year. Uh, Northern Illinois, eight and five. Um, UAB favored by two and a half in this one, and the over/under at forty-three and a half points. Um, you know, I think this is going to be an interesting challenge for Tyler Johnston. Uh, I don't know too much about Northern Illinois' defense, but I know that uh, they have a pretty good quarterback in Marcus Childers, um, just shy of 2,000 yards passing this year with 1,996 and 15 touchdowns. Um, But I think if UAB can kind of do what they do in terms of eating up clock and um, if Tyler Johnston can play the kind of game that he played in the Conference USA Championship game where just every time he had the ball in his hands it seemed like he just had that look in his eyes of like I'm going to do whatever I need to do to move this ball down the field and help my team win then I think they have it yeah, um, we go ahead and just jump in here on as far as Northern Illinois, as far as their defense goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I went to grad school up in Chicago, so I, I made actually a couple trips with DeKalb to watch uh, Northern Illinois when I was up there. They've got a guy, Sutton Smith, who I believe he actually led the MAC, but he had 15 sacks. Uh, that's going to be the first key for the Blazers is whoever is behind center. I, I guess uh, it's looking like it's going to be Tyler Johnson heading into it. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to avoid Sutton Smith. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this ball game, Joe, just because, you know, and the trend of college football and professional football for that matter, where you got these high scoring offenses and teams are playing, you know, 50 mid 50s high 50 point shootouts this one you know is going to come down to a battle of the run games uh definitely look for you know as as far as uab goes you you know the story it's going to be spencer brown it's going to be kind of that efficient who can run it most effectively but you also mentioned marcus childers who also is another uh dual threat running back and the majority of his dual threat is as a runner uh they also have two solid running backs and trey harbison and marcus jones are going to touch the rock a lot so definitely look for a typical uab game that you've seen this year somewhere in the mid 20s uh it's going to be up to you know uab defense the guys like jamel garcia williams chris Woolbright, <clears throat> excuse me chris Woolbright and trey crawford to shut down the run game uh it's this one i was really kind of torn on joe but i guess i'm gonna go ahead and be a conference usa homer i'm gonna take uh uab but I, once again this one could i could easily see this one being a, a 17 10 or 17 13 type ball game we, I mean, yeah, we have to be Conference USA homers. That's, <laughs> but, or, anyway. But yeah, now that I'm looking at MAC football stats here, it looks like Northern Illinois, their defense is definitely their strong suit, right? With the number one scoring defense in that league and the number one total defense in that league, um, averaging only uh, 21 and a half points per game, which is you know just a little bit below the next closest defense uh, in Eastern Michigan. But I think that'll be a pretty good game um and you know like like we mentioned with tyler johnston under center i think um if he can keep playing the way he has then um then they'll be okay but no time to kind of get the nerves now um and also decob is um it just sounds like you're saying something else but you're just saying it with a really thick chicago accent so i love that <laughs> <laughs> pretty much pretty much the bears playing also- decob <laughs> And, and also, Joe, really quick, uh, just leave, leave it to me to point this out. As we are a Conference USA homers here, as I saw one of the uh, one of the complaints about the podcast was that all Joe was going to do uh, – a question was asked whether we're going to talk um, uh, CUSA coaches. And said, no, all Joe's going to do is just talk Western Kentucky coaches. So uh, – <laughs> Someone someone asked, is all we're going to do talk Conference USA coaches? Um, 
Um, yeah, it was. I believe it was heading into last week's show. Uh-huh. Uh, someone asked. Someone asked if we were going to talk uh, the Conference USA coaching carousel and, and things of that nature. Yeah. And uh, and and the response was no. All, all we're going to do is just talk Western Kentucky coaches. <laughs> so I, I, I got a, I got a giggle out of that. <laughs> yeah, because we haven't talked about that whole situation from every possible angle at this point. <laughs> but... Exactly. Your, your adoring audience loves you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, adoring. Let's go with that one. Um, and then on Thursday, speaking of Western Kentucky, the other half of the uh, Moonshine Throwdown, Marshall playing South Florida in the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl. Um, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, I had the same. I'm sorry. I, I don't know if you could hear the sound of my eyes rolling as I read that, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> that bowl game, Marshall favored by two and a half in this one, over under 55 and a half points at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN at the uh, home of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at Raymond James Stadium. Um, I am really leaning towards Marshall here. South Florida, just man, they just fell apart, didn't they, this year? I don't know what's going on with them, but something within that program's got to change if they want to, you know, get the respect that I think a lot of their fan base wants them to have or thinks they deserve. I don't know. But I think... South Florida definitely needs to kind of show that they're moving in the right direction under Charlie Strong. A win here would do that, but I think Marshall's just in a much better place organizationally. And I think, you know, with a guy like Tyree Brady who needs to go out with a a big performance here, um, I'm thinking that Marshall's offense is going to power them to a win. Yeah, Joe. You know, I will jump in and take the uh, the USF aspect here, and and the reason I, I just you know couldn't hold that laughter is obviously you know for those of you listening for the first time, I live here in Tampa, and the signs for the bad boy mowers Gasparilla Bowl has gone up all over the city, and it's, you just can't help but laugh <laughs> whenever you see that name because they're trying to fit it all on like one little sign and put it on these lampposts. And anyways, I'm rambling. Um, <laughs> the home game for the Bulls here, Joe. The sky literally is falling here in Tampa in terms of, uh, you know, the atmosphere surrounding this USF team. If you're judging by the fans and their social media opinions, they are not happy. Here's the fact of the matter. USF started 7-0, and and they've lost five straight since. And then the last time they took the field was against UCF, a game that they were in it for about a half until the Knights blew them out. Uh, you mentioned in terms of just kind of building any type of momentum for, you know, the fans and the, and the program as far as what they, what they want to be and what they're perceived as or what they want to, want to be perceived as. They cannot lose this game because they're falling further and further behind UCF. They're they're also hated rival in terms of just relevancy, mm. and and it's just it, it's it's been bewildering, Joe. Because I still think they're a talented team. Uh, when you look at guys like Blake Barnett, who he wasn't able to make the start against UCF, and I, it looks like he'll be able to go uh, for the bowl game. But whoever is starting behind uh, starting behind center at quarterback, they're gonna have to get the ball in the hands of Tyree McCants, who is their playmaker, and also Jordan Cronkite. It's been been a nice surprise for USF on the ground. He was a guy who came up out of nowhere to lead this team in rushing this year, but Marshall has a tremendous defense that's headed up by Chase Hancock. Uh, for the Herd, we know they're coming off that great win against FIU down in Miami, and uh, once again, not sure if Tyler King is going to suit up uh, for this bowl game if he's going to shut it down for the rest of the year, but Brendan Knox, they can get him going, who's really come on being the essentially the third string running back and has come on really well. USF's going to have to account for the big wideouts, and as you mentioned, Tyree Brady and another one in Obi Obialo. Uh, this is one that I think is close, and you know maybe it's because I'm, I, I live here, but I've got USF just because they can't lose six straight games. People are already down on Charlie Strong. There, you know, Sterling Gilbert, uh, the offensive coordinator, left to take the McNeese State job. Uh, 
Joe, really quick, as far as the Sterling Gilbert thing, that's kind of the uh, you know the the old expression, you know, you can't fire me because I quit. Uh, mm-hmm. The last time Sterling Gilbert was inside of Raymond James Stadium, and I can tell this because I was in the press box, there were very loud fire Sterling Gilbert chants <laughs> coming from the crowd. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, sure, you can't fire me because I'm just going to take a new job. Uh, that's kind of how that went down. So uh, USF, they need a win in the worst way, and I think they'll find a way to pull one out against Marshall. Can I ask you something as someone who lives in Tampa and is familiar with the area? Yeah. yeah. What the hell does Gasparilla mean? <laughs> oh, so, you, so you know nothing about Gasparilla at all? No. That's a nonsense okay. word to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. uh, okay. Gasparilla is our version of Mardi Gras. Um, it, essentially, it, it's rooted. If you know anything about Tampa, um, you know, it kind of has that, that pirate-themed history uh, as far as um, – um, how the city was settled in, in, in the 1800s and whatnot. And they've kind of just, that theme's gone on ever since. So all, all Gasparilla is, is, it's a three-week celebration. Uh, we have a night parade, a day parade, and a kids' parade, um, <laughs> which is kind of, you know, a kids' parade for Gasparilla and, and being snobs with Mardi Gras. But uh, that's what it is, Joe. It's just a, it's just our version of Mardi Gras. It's a parade. It's an excuse to, you know, get hammered and get beat. That's all it is. We need excuses to get hammered now. Still, it's. I mean, I don't know. It's a so it's a, it's like a, it's like a pirate festival thing. It's 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 a it's pirate themed. Hence, you know, like the Buccaneers, the same thing. It, it uh-huh. all stems from that. Um, it's a pirate themed. Uh, you dress up uh, like pirates, or or well. I, I'm, you're putting me on the spot because I'm really trying to talk around this in a way that's PG for this podcast. But it, it's a pirate themed parade show. There's booty involved. <laughs> I was trying not to go there. Okay. Yes. Well, yeah, there it's, is, there, it's there, pirates. There, there, there's there, booty there's, involved. Yes, there's gotcha. booty involved. Correct. Correct. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> um, with that, we'll we'll move south a little bit and go to the Bahamas, where FIU is taking on Toledo in the uh, Bahamas Bowl. Uh, Toledo favored by five and a half here on that Friday game. That will be uh, you can see it at twelve thirty p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. Uh, 68 and a half is the over under. This one's going to be kind of interesting because I personally think uh, FIU's offense is a little more impressive than what I've seen from Toledo so far. But, you know, I think it's going to be a matter of whether or not we see, you know, the FIU defense that we saw kind of in the earlier part of the year or that rushing defense that we saw towards the end where people were kind of. Uh, you know, doing whatever they want from a rushing perspective against the Panthers. So um, I'm a little torn on this one, but I think if, you know, that defense doesn't want to show up, then I think Toledo's going to win this one. Yeah, Joe, you know, as the FIU beat writer, I've, I've seen this all season long. It's what I've said all season long. You know, you hit the nail on the head. If they cannot stop the run, it's going to be a long day. Uh, Brian Kobach, Shakif Seymour, and Art Tompkins are all capable backs for Toledo. FIU is going to have a chance to get their guys going as well. I look for Anthony Jones potentially to have a big game now that he's got a few games under his belt since returning from the you know the the shooting. Uh, I, I, it's kind of struggle for words of what I want to call it. It's just the randomness of the drive-by shooting mm-hmm. that, that happened to him. Um, but also the Panther special teams is, could be the difference. Uh, you know, they had a rare bad outing against the Herd last week with two missed field goals and a block punt. But like you mentioned, FIU's offense is very good. And James Morgan, uh, he's a guy who he's known for being, you know, just a, a, a film 
guy. Just anytime he can get a chance to watch more film and more film and more film, that's been his thing. So you give him almost a month to prepare for a team, and I really like his chances. Also, a little side note about Morgan. Uh, he did spend two years at Bowling Green, and in his two seasons at Bowling Green, they were, you know, an up-and-down kind of a career, but his best career game in the mat came against Toledo, uh, against the same coaching staff. So that he has a little bit of an edge there. You know, the thing for the thing for the Panthers is this, as you mentioned, uh, it's just going to come down to can they play mistake-free football and can they stop the run? It's not a matter of when FIU doesn't stop the run. It's not that they give up 150 yards; they give up like 500. So that's mm-hmm. going to be the major thing. If, if they're going to be giving up chunks and chunks of yards on the ground, Toledo's going to win. Uh, once again, call my bias maybe as the FIU beat writer, but I'm going with the Panthers. I think they find a way to get a win. Interesting. A little off topic. Well, not totally off topic. It has to do with this bowl game. Um, I'm looking for tickets on here, and I'm not seeing very many of them. There's no way this game's sold out, right? This game is not sold out. I can tell you, as someone who's seen this game, not in person, but I've seen it on TV, mm-hmm. there usually are about you know three to 4,000 people there, tops. Um, <laughs> a little funny story. Uh, I saw – I wish I could remember the writer who went to cover this game a couple years ago. But he said that uh, one of the funny things about the Bahamas Bowl is that you know they only have about half of the gates as far as the entrance to the stadium staff with security. So you can just walk around to another entrance and walk right in, uh, which shows you how, uh, how <laughs> they take football down there in the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this game isn't sold out. I can tell you that much for a fact. Gotcha. I'm not seeing tickets for it on Vivid Seats, but I guess – I think if you want tickets to that game, you have to get them through either FIU or through Toledo. Correct, correct, through the school. Okay, that makes sense. Um, from looking at it, I saw a thing that said one ticket for this game at $96, um, which I would not pay $96 for this for this game. But um, I didn't see any anything on Vivid Seats, so it looks like if you want tickets to that game, that's the only way to get them. Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you take the trip to the Bahamas given the weather you're That's true. That's very true. I would take a trip to the Bahamas um, – at any point. And in fact, I'm already like, I mean, it's funny that we're going to talk about the Hawaii Bowl next, but um, covering Oregon State, I know they play Hawaii in September, so I'm already have that like circled on my calendar like, <laughs> yes, get me out. <laughs> um, but uh, so with that, we'll just move on to the Hawaii Bowl then on uh, Saturday, December 22nd at 1030 Eastern Time on ESPN. We got the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs and the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors facing off. Even line here and over under of 60 points. So this is going to be an interesting game. Um, Cole McDonald, of course, Hawaii's quarterback, been pretty impressive for most of the year. Uh, Then on Louisiana Tech, we also have a a pretty good offense. And then on defense, of course, uh, Mr. Jalen Ferguson, who's been uh, just a force in opposing backfields. Um, Given that this is an even line, I think that we're going to be in for an interesting game because... It's going to come down to whether or not Louisiana Tech's offense can keep pace with Hawaii's offense, I think, because that that offense is going to be able to score points. But um, if if, uh, you know, Jamar Smith and Jack Wistanti can also put up enough points to the point where it's going to come down to whether or not. Jalen Ferguson can make enough stops and the rest of that defense can follow suit, then I think we're going to be in for an interesting game. But I think I'm going to pick Hawaii just because based on what I've seen out of Cole McDonald this year, I think he's just going to score more points than the other team. 
Yeah, Joe. You know, I've only really got a few quick points on this one because you mentioned Cole McDonald. It's nice to see that potent Hawaii offense, the one that, you know, I'm sure we grew up on back with, you know, Timmy Chang and Case Keenum. And, yeah. And, God, Case Keenum, not Case Keenum. I'm, I'm forgetting the, the other kid's name. But, uh, um, guys, um, dear God. Anyways, it'll come to me. Um, it's nice to see that, that throwback Hawaii offense. Um, the major thing for me is that they're playing at home. And when you get a bowl game at home and this game is this evenly matched, you just can't, you know, you can't take that aspect for granted. Like you mentioned, it's going to be as to whether Jamar Smith and and Jaquist Dancy and Adrian Hardy and guys like those, can they keep up with Hawaii's offense? I just don't think that they'll be able to in what's going to amount to a road game despite the the talents of Mr. Jalen Ferguson. So I've got Hawaii. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think Colt Brennan was the guy you were thinking of. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you knew Colt Brennan. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you were on the right track. Exactly. You were on the yeah. right track. Uh, so that's kind of our bowl wrap up. And since we're talking about quarterbacks there, we'll go ahead and transition into some news and notes about Conference USA. And the first one we got to get to is uh, quarterback for the FAU Owls, DeAndre Johnson, who, of course, was at Florida State a few years ago and then moved on to East Mississippi Community College before. Uh, playing at FAU is now transferring from the school so not sure where he'll end up but um, obviously dealt with some medical issues with the blood clots and that kind of thing um, and uh, but I think he's still got some left in the tank so if uh, I gotta imagine some school will be able to pick him up I think he could probably play pretty he'll get time either at a G5 school or an FCS school you gotta think right yeah, and I mean, it was one of those things where he almost didn't have a choice because once he was beaten out by Chris Robson, you know, you're talking about a guy who, if, if he wants to take the field, it's not going to happen behind a guy, you know, with a guy there who's as young as Robson. Um, I don't want to do too much speculation as to where he may or may not go. Uh, something I think that might be interesting, and this is, once again, no inside information. This is just reckless speculation here on my part. Mm. I've seen a lot of people in the UCF camp cl- uh, clamor for a grad transfer. Or some sort of transfer, just because of the injury to Mackenzie Milton and, and Daryl Mack. Um, I, I could see that going both ways. One, Daryl Mack looks like he's going to be a stud, and he's just as young as, as Robson. The the flip side of that is, at least you're dealing in, in an offense that I think really plays at DeAndre Johnson's strengths, is that they're going to give him an opportunity uh, to use his legs. So, just a little reckless speculation there. But yeah, all in all, he had to move on because the playing time wasn't going to come at FAU. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, a fair, and I think that's a good decision to be able to see like how crowded that quarterback room was going to be, and that it probably wasn't the best place for him to be if he really wanted a shot at being the guy in terms of being a quarterback. And it's it's good to see that he has. Um, well, it's I mean, it's good for him that he has two years of eligibility left as well. Um, and then the other kind of bigger noteworthy thing that happened in Conference USA this week. Seth Luttrell officially staying at uh, North Texas. Definitely some speculation that he was going to go to Kansas State over the last few weeks, but that's not happening now. And um, looks like North Texas gets to try to sustain the momentum that they've built under him, which I imagine Mean Green fans are pretty happy about. Yeah, you'd absolutely have to imagine that. You know, I don't want to bury Kansas State any more than we did last week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, it's just in in terms of all jokes aside, I'm never going to fault a coach for for leaving, you know, in in terms of if the money is significantly different at a P5, you got to do what you got to do. But when you're talking about 
a Kansas State versus a North Texas, you're already building. You've already built something there. You're in the process of building something there. You've got a Mason Fine coming back. You got a DeAndre Torrey coming back. And all things considered, the money isn't going to be significantly different. I'm sure North Texas can kind of you know finagle some ways there to kind of you know sweeten the pot for him to stay. So all things considered, I'm glad you made the choice to stay in Denton. For sure. Um, with that, then. Um... We'll move on to reviewing the all-conference awards. Those came out over the last uh, two weeks. Um, not too many real surprises in here. Um, I don't know if you – have you had a chance to look at those too much, Eric? Yeah, yeah. I've had a chance to look at them. Uh, I don't know if you – know, you said you didn't see any surprises there. Was there anyone that stood out to you or do you want me to uh, take a crack at it first? Um, in terms of surprises or – uh, in general, anything. I'll just you know take your thoughts and I'll, I'll jump in after you. Um, I'll say the most, the one that I most agree with probably would be Jack Fox being uh, the first team punter. And um, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was, uh, yeah, he was the special teams player of the year. I think that's a great, uh, that's a great choice. And it's actually the first time in Conference USA history that a punter won that honor. Um, but leading COSA in punting for the second year straight, uh, 45 and a half yard average on punts, which is insane. Um, so I think that was a great, um, that was a great choice for that award. Um, newcomer of the year went to James Morgan. I think that was the obvious choice. And, uh, I think for that, there's just not very many things on there. I don't really think there's anything on here that I would really consider surprising, um, no Western Kentucky players on the first team, which is not a big surprise. So, yeah, I, there's nothing on there that I really have too many gripes with, if I'm being honest. No, yeah. I mean, I, I'm right there with you. There weren't too many things. Uh, I actually tweeted out what I thought would have been my list and it looked pretty similar to, to what ended up being the case. I, I believe I had Jordan Budwig as a first-teamer. I had Benny LeMay as a first-teamer. I know that. Mm. Uh <clears throat> Excuse me, and I will say, and I know I had I had Jonathan Duhart as a first teamer as well. So not necessarily anyone who was left off, just in terms of the teams. Uh, I had a couple things flipped, but now in terms of someone who was left off, uh, Josiah Toafil. Mm. I I, yeah. I felt that he should have been a second teamer at least, and it, it's it's not to you know for those of you listening, the the first teamers were Sage Lewis, which I agreed with, uh, Darius Harris from Middle Tennessee State, and EJ uh, Ajaya from North Texas. No, it's this isn't a slight at any of those guys. It's that we all know what UTSA has been this season. You know, in terms of the defense having to show the entire load, and that guy has been a playmaker since game one. I, I just felt that, all things considered, you know, it, it's it's easy to take guys from teams who win, and winning. You know, we can have this debate another time. Uh, how much credence should be given to winning in terms of off-season awards and postseason awards is. is entire discussion itself but I, in my mind for him not to make either first or second team was was uh surprising in in, in my uh my estimation yeah i i can see that um you make an interesting point about whether or not winning factors into these uh these awards in terms of being more important than individual performance and i'm a little bit torn like if you're the best player on the worst team like what does that really amount to you know what i mean but at the same time like you got to be able to award those or reward those performances because they're they're great players and i, I think the best example of that is ben lemay he had a he had a great year and um 
but at the same time, I don't. Did he really have a better year than? Did he really look better than Devin Singletary or Spencer Brown? I I don't necessarily think so, but that's just me. Um, and then the offensive player of the year went to Mason Fine, of course. Uh, Brent Stockstill was the CUSA MVP, and uh, Jalen Ferguson was the defensive player of the year. And then we actually had. Uh, co-freshman of the year which was uh, Isaiah Green from Marshall and Chris Robison from FAU so two quarterbacks that's kind of an interesting thing I don't think that's that's only the third time in league history that multiple players have uh, shared that award which is interesting and it went to two quarterbacks yeah, you know, and, and I think both guys were deserving. Uh, Robinson, he's a guy, you know, in this neck of the woods down here in Florida, uh, got uh, he showed a lot of the criticism for the the you know regression in terms of the wins, and I don't necessarily think that that's fair because there were a lot of moving factors around him as far as we've talked about the coaching staff at FAU, and they had some changes in the offseason, so nice to see him get rewarded. And I've been an Isaiah Green fan. If you've listened to this podcast, you know how much of a fan of I am of Isaiah Green, and getting a chance to see just you know I got just to see him at. Excuse me, the FIU game, and he missed a couple open throws, but you just can tell that the talent is there. He's a really promising player, and he's a guy who, you know, if you know his backstory, he's basically Marshall's all he's all he's got in terms of uh, in terms of family and and, and football is really his uh, his love. So nice to see him get rewarded as well. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think that was a good choice for them. Um, yeah, and then special teams. The The first team was Cole Headland at uh, kicker from UNT. And then, of course, Jack Fox at punter. Isaiah Harper, the kick returner for Old Dominion. Uh, Maurice Alexander at punt returner um, from FIU. And then Matt Beardall, Jr. Matt Beardall, and he is a junior from Marshall at long snapper. So, um, yeah, I can't argue with that too much. Um, can I say one of the th- just so I can get some sort of criticism of Western Kentucky and for this podcast. It's crazy how it seems like Western's long snapping regressed a little bit this year because last year they had I don't think they had any mess ups on any of their long snaps and uh this year I think Ben Reader definitely had a couple kind of crucial bad snaps. So I think hopefully they can kind of get that figured out over the next few days or next uh next year or so i should say um they, they need to get it fixed now damn it next few days sure sooner the better right yeah yeah exactly um oh and the other kind of one other news thing i guess about western kentucky offensive line coach uh tj woods has left the program looks like he is off to utah state to uh, join his former boss, Gary Anderson, on that staff. So that should be interesting. I think it's, you know, one of the bummer things about this transition is seeing these kids lose their position coaches that you kind of get attached to uh, quickly, especially if you're, you know, a younger guy. But um, that's kind of interesting that there's going to be so much turnover there, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball, bringing in a new offensive coordinator. Um, but, yeah, that's that's all I really had. No, yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, like I said, those were my thoughts on as far as the uh, all-conference teams. And I, I guess one of the things I'm looking at the special teams right now, uh, someone who was really, really rewarded, Jonathan Cruz, uh, for 
getting the second team kicker. He's a guy who he won the game uh, at FAU first team, and he's really going to be a stud. So I just want to get that note in there as well. And Maurice Alexander, phenomenal job making the transition from quarterback to receiver. He's a guy who, you know, Joe, I hope you really get a chance to see him live at, at some point in time or, you know, maybe sit down and watch a couple games. But he, whenever he gets the ball in his hands, I mean, he just has – it's something I, d- I haven't had a chance to ask him this season, but I want to know if at any point in his career, because from to the best of my knowledge, he's only been a quarterback, but his instincts in the open field once he gets the ball into his hands are, are, are outstanding. So uh, great transition for him, and he's been rewarded well making the first team as a punt returner. Yeah, yeah, I've seen him play a little bit, and he's he's very solid. So I think that, reward, or that award is well-deserved. Um, but yeah, I think that's all we really had for this podcast, unless there was anything else we wanted to pick each other's brains about. No, that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, you know, I'll go ahead and uh, give you a, uh, uh, an explanation of Gasparilla off the air. So outside of that, it's probably <laughs> good to know. Send me, send me some links. Um, <laughs> will we'll do Joe. Uh, we're going to be, we're going to get banned from underdog dynasty slap chat, slack chat for sure. Um, anyway, We'll go ahead and wrap up then. Uh, Thanks for listening so much to the Underdog Podcast. Uh, Make sure you're checking out underdogdynasty.com every day for more G5 football content as we move through bowl season and the holiday season. Um, And then follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter as well. Like us on Facebook. And then you can follow each of us on Twitter. I'm at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. And uh, Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. Oh, and uh, review the show as well. And um, please keep interacting with us on Twitter and tell me what I'm doing wrong. Please. I love that so much. Anyway, have a great rest of your week, everybody. Happy holidays and happy football watching.